there's, <clears throat> there's a Carver, Raymond Carver poem, which I couldn't find in time, but I know it really well. I know its spirit. It's about the time when the power failed. <clears throat> so a blackout, I think it was an ice storm, and apparently you know, they snapped the, the electricity wires. And so a really long, deep power outage of which we can probably expect more and more as time goes on. This was at night and the stars came out really bright and startling. The whole smog of light pollution just simply went down, it vanished. And all the sounds of the night rose up. There were tiny sounds that were suddenly audible, subtle creaturely sounds. Somehow the human noise, <clears throat> all the forms of distraction that are carried on the back of electricity, were gone. He could finally hear and feel where he was. <clears throat> and he loved it. He said the snow had its own light. The trees stepped out in their own right. And there was a happiness, very simple happiness broke through. It was discovered in his bones and he relished it. You probably know about this. When your zazen is deep, you know it in your bones and you relish it. <clears throat> and then, as he put it in the poem, ordinary transmission was resumed. <laughs> <laughs> it was restored. The lights came back on. They broke this timeless spell. So in a way, they broke the connection that's flowing through all things at all times. Transmission. We're talking here in the context of both Dharma and Sangha, transmission and Dharma transmission. The transmission of reality straight to our own bones is constant, constant, unceasing. It's flowing through all things, even this obdurate human being. It flows right through. It has no impediment, except when we make ourselves the impediment. So we can break this non-stop transmission with ease, but we can return to it as well with any deep enough willingness to do so. To go quiet, to, <clears throat> to surrender self-consciousness. Self-consciousness is like ordinary transmission was restored. <laughs> but we're talking about the even more ordinary one, the one that is constant, regardless of what we do. Or my favorite destruction of the English language, irregardless of what we do. <laughs> we cannot help it. It never stops flowing. So this is... Um, such a strange thing that we are, such a strange position that we occupy in this stream, this flow of reality. So, <clears throat> I once heard an elder out near Broken Hill, Auntie Beryl Carmichael, Niampia woman, and she said this, if you're not in connectedness, you're not in reality. Connectedness is reality. Sangha is so deeply involved with this sense of connectedness, this sense of 
the sentient world, the very infinitely large Sangha. So if you're not in connectedness, you're not in reality. We sometimes use or hear people use the word interdependence to talk about this constant kinship with all things, all beings, all things, all moments. <clears throat> but interdependence for me is slightly too close to being a transactional word. It's a little bit like saying <clears throat> that it's not just that we're not, that we lean on each other's existence, which interdependence implies, you know, we depend on each other, which of course we do. We're here by the grace of all the other beings, all the way back in time. But at the same time, this goes deeper. It's realized by something deeper than interdependence. It's not an idea of, of how things manifest this way. It's a direct experience that it manifests thus. It's the experience of it simply flowing through you. It's called waking up. It's called realization. It means entering reality, becoming fully real. So this interesting space we occupy as human beings. Shital says all things are interwoven and not interwoven, while each thing stands in its own place. Now he's speaking here of this not too nature of reality where the undeniable form of your own body, for example, stands in its own place, will never be seen on the earth again. Even the, finger, the patterns of your own fingertips will never be seen again on earth. Each thing stands in its own place, each tiny insect, each grain on the floorboards here, each thing stands in its own place and yet interwoven, interwoven, an inextricable weave. So this is where we live. These are not contradictory statements, interwoven and not interwoven. From the ground of emptiness, from the ground of prajna, they, it, this is simply stating it as it is. Form is exactly emptiness, emptiness exactly form. So this, to see that these are not contradictory statements, you experience that they are not contradictory statements. This is, this I think you, you could say requires a continuing alert noticing of just where we are, we call it practice. Noticing and allowing, and in that allowing, there's a yielding of this sense of I, this sense of self carved out of the universe, to see interwoven and not interwoven is to begin to see what truly is here, <laughs> what truly is here. Now there's a koan that comes up, a case that comes up from the record of Jiao Zhou about Sangha. And the monk comes and asks Jaja, what is Sangha? And Jaja replies, what else is there but it? What else is there but it? Now that's a very expansive 
embrace, is it not? Nothing but Sangha. And it, this mysterious reality that we swim in, nothing but Sangha, nothing but kinship, nothing but relatedness. But when he says, what else is there but it, can you hear how wide the heart-mind is that can just be at home in that statement? So wide, so free of picking and choosing and preferencing. There's a smile in those words too. What else is there but it? (laughs) There's also an embrace. It says, you are welcome here. (laughs) There's nothing else going on but this web of relationship where there is no final and ultimate other. So, it's interesting that he says, what else is there? But it, because I'm always interested by the word elsewhere. I've never found it. <laughs> Where is this elsewhere? And, you know, <clears throat> ordinary transmission of the sort that Raymond Carr was talking about, ordinary transmission was restored. That is surely the mind that is living in some kind of elsewhere, moment by moment. So the monk goes on to ask, then what is a person of Sangha? How do I live this? You know, it's so vast. How do I encompass this? How do I live up to this? Where is it? (laughs) What is a person of Sangha? Person's a beautiful word here because it's personal and it's intimate at the same time as as it is being Strongly, I hear in the monk's question a sense of there's a strong containment here. What is it? How do I encompass so something so vast without, in any sense, well, falling apart or, or failing at it or just not being able to fully and simply contain it, just as I am? Jojo gives the response. He says, you and me. What is a person of Sangha? It is you and me. Though even there you've got a person who is somehow you and me. <laughs> Again, the what is <clears throat> stands in its own place to some extent is also interwoven. You and me, interwoven in this one. So he'd be face to face with that monk at that moment. He'd be looking into the eyes of that monk and he says, you and me. So what is this space of you and me? What is this beautiful response, you and me? When I say face to face, you know, we are face to face with every detail of this earth as well. This beautiful, astonishing, ridiculously taken for granted earth. So you and me is there as well. Every time you open your eyes on this planet, you are face to face, you and me, you and me. That call of the earth into kinship, into a sense of one kind. What is the earth if not our most ancient and revered ancestor, our deepest kin? our oldest kin. 
But it is face to face at every moment. You and me, whether you're looking at the floorboard, <laughs> looking into the face of another human being, you and me. Look how intimate those words are. In fact, it's hard to know which is which. <laughs> which is which, you and me. At a certain point, where we land is in the and. You and me. The and is that tissue of relatedness that runs through all things, despite our best efforts to separate them. That and is a, is a kind of hinge word of the entire universe, this sense of infinite network of relatedness. So it's you and me in the most face-to-face, interwoven, mutually revealed kind of space. It's like whatever you open your eyes to, whatever you open your senses to, there is the mirror in which you might catch sight of yourself, your deepest, truest self. Open your eyes, have a look. There's an old Hasidic uh, story that became a kind of koan that I picked up ages ago in the Tales of the Hasidim, Martin Buber's Tales of the Hasidim, where a teacher <clears throat> says to his assembly something like this, he says, how do we know when night has ended and the day has begun? Now, how can anyone know that, by the way? <laughs> the infinite graduation of dark into light. Where does it begin and end? Where is, when is night ended? So people come forward with various possibilities, like, you know, it's when you can tell the mist from the clouds, for example. Or, oh, no, okay, it's, it's, it's when that first bird sings and I hear it in my heart. And each time, whatever is said, a teacher says, no, it is not that. So finally they say, then when has night ended and the day begun? And this old teacher says, it is when you look into the face of another and recognize yourself, another human being, and recognize yourself. And he said, until then, the night is still with us. And that's the telling part, I think. Until we can see the you and me that is so seamless, it's like you hyphen and hyphen me. Until we can see with those eyes, the night is still with us. I think all of us here are experiencing as in our very bodies what's going on right now. In Israel, Gaza, in the recent referendum, the sense of being able in some way to say no to the you and me, isn't that the night where we can, where we're blind, we're blind to just where we are, who we are, what we are. Jojo does not say you, comma, and me. Not, there's no break in you and me. True recognition of the other is self-recognition. 
true self recognition. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> in every moment, you, know, you and me is the live fact. No wonder we're asked to save, in other words, to realize the many beings, to realize the sentience of this earth. Begins here. It begins, in a way, in saving the other from the barrage of ordinary self-transmission that dims the other, that drops us out of reality and leaves us with a mess of opinions and causes, righteous causes, that somehow are able to destroy the opposition. Look closely at you and me and you discover that every word in it is a question. You is a question. A place of deep inquiry, a place of not knowing. So, of course, is me in that intimate space. In that intimate space of you and me, there's no hard facts. There's not even any hard substantive sense of what is me, what is you. And that and is the dissolving point, and the point of inquiry. It's a turning word that never finishes turning us. Turning us about to confirm our own self-nature, as Hakuin puts it in the song of Zazen. It's turning us <clears throat> to always, insistently, our path, our practice, towards the undivided nature of what is, undivided. A great question, you know, in the middle of any moment of your life, just ask, is this divided? Is <laughs> where you find yourself, is it in any possible way divided? Can you find anything divided in a single twig of a tree, for example? anything at all, <clears throat> but also in the middle of a, a, a moment in your ordinary life with other people. And perhaps a start beginning in you of resentment or irritation or, or something of that kind that is undermining you and me. Is it possible just to ask, is this, by which I mean reality itself, is it divided? Is the heart of your being divided? And it's a great question. It's a question that keeps on opening. Is this divided? The most awake part of yourself, can you find dividedness there? So you can turn back. It's like the and turns you back, you and me. Because in this multitudinous world, there really is only and going on. There's nothing else going on here. <coughs> There's connectedness, and if you're not in connectedness, you're not in reality. Stranded somewhere. There was a woman once who was an oblate. I didn't even know what that was when I looked it up. <laughs> oblate means somebody who attends a monastery but is not of the monastery. But she attends, in this case, 
the various um, services through the day, and she's able to come and go as an oblate. <laughs> we won't worry too much about the word. <clears throat> so at a certain point, she got curious. This was a Benedictine community um, monastery, and she asked one of the sort of uh, head monks, she said, I'm not picking up much ascetism in the style here. What is, what is your ascetism? What is your practice of winnowing down to the most important thing, putting things aside until there's just the most deeply important thing? The ascetism that, from a certain point of view, is what discovers the heart of the matter, the heart of God, if you like, in, in the case of the Benedictine monk. So the, the, <clears throat> the monk smiled. He said, ah, ascetism. Community is our ascetic. <laughs> Living in community. There is all the ascetism you'd ever need. <clears throat> and we know about this, <clears throat> of course. Sangha is the perfect place to have your edges noticed. <laughs> but noticed with a certain loving regard, a certain care until you can notice and have them gently sanded off. <laughs> <laughs> Community is certainly the place where all our blind spots are seen, but not by us. You know, they're seen by the loving, noticing regard of people around us, or the irritated, but loving <laughs> regard of people around us. It is hard to know your blind spots without the help of friends and family. <laughs> they know. <clears throat> so ascetism, you know, the sense of putting the self aside, that is ascetism. Letting the self yield. Look how much I yields into that phrase, you and me. There's no I sticking out there like a sore thumb. It's you and me. And so this sense of how wisdom emerges in the space between interwoven and, there it is again, and not interwoven. This is the live space of being human, not to. The path of practice is the path of becoming familiar with this mind of not to. This mind of form is not other than emptiness. Emptiness not other than form. Form is exactly emptiness. Emptiness exactly form. Emptiness, the vast, interwoven, seamless, undivided reality. Form. Everyone in this room will die. Every one of us. We are here briefly in this form. And even this form is brief, moment by moment. It never stops changing, in intimately changing, infinitely changing. So to hold these as not two, in one heart-mind, one awake, stirred heart-mind, 
This is Sambhagakaya. It does sound like a kind of wild dance sometimes. <laughs> Do the Sambhagakaya. <laughs> but it is a kind of wild dance, is it not? Because it's a wild universe. So to move, to flow with this universe, we do become a kind of wild dancer, able to pick up the intimations of how to move with, how to transform things while turning with things. So Sambhogakaya is the body of the Buddha that is often called the bliss body or the enjoyment body. The one, those very quiet moments of your zazen when you notice that deeply quiet joy, it's very quiet, subtle joy. There it is, Sambhogakaya, enjoyment body. Dharmakaya, that's the empty body of the Buddha. Namanakaya, that's the brilliantly, infinitely differentiated body of the Buddha. Of, by Buddha, I mean awake mind. So the full transmission of undivided reality is always taking place in the enjoyment body. When you touch it, when you notice, it's always taking place. It's always on offer. As long as this self is fully and equally on offer. And that's not particularly easy. That is, it's so simple at a certain level and so immediately at hand. And yet, and yet, <laughs> we're very human and we can create infinite distance from the most intimate fact. On the back of our rakasus, there's, there's a broken twig in I'm not going to take it off and show you, but you know that there's a broken twig on the back of your rakasu if you wear one. And that in, what it carries the meaning, the meaning it carries is this, it's a mountain path. It's difficult enough to be very, to make you genuine, make sure you become genuine. And it is a karmic path. It, we acknowledge the karma of our presence here. The fact that as we pass along a mountain path, a twig will break here and there, broken twig. Now in that broken twig, you can hear that part of the purification at the beginning of the sutra service. That broken twig is all the harm and suffering ever created by me since of old. And so this since of old is actually pointing back to the timelessness, the unconscious or not yet conscious harm that we also acknowledge, freely acknowledge in that space. Now this is pointing to the fact that the path is not just simply a wonderful Sambhogakaya <laughs> <laughs> through the universe, a wild dance, it is at the same time it is immensely practical. It's called practice because it is practical. It is about becoming of some use while we're here. Being able to be of some inarguable use. Helping to ease the pain in this earth, in this ring of breath around the earth. 
It was such a vast collective kind of trauma on this earth. There's so much grief, there's so much climate grief, there's the sense of we're all facing into an immense, a tragedy of immense proportions. We're in a world that is slippery with bad faith and, and the kind of weaponization of the worst parts of being human. So how important it is to be able to say and find the place in this world where we can truly say your life is also my life. To live from that. The moment of waking up <clears throat> is very like understanding there's nothing here that is not saying your life is also my life. It's the recognition. Your life, the life of all that is here is also my life, utterly. So that's the sort of joyous waking up. Your life is also my life. You could say awakened behaviour arrives in a place that says my life is also your life. And any kind of awakening that is not interested in awakened, enlightened behaviour is not worth the price of admission. In fact, it's not realisation at all. It's just one more thing dragged into the surface of the self. So the very meaning of the refuge of Sangha, as we say, we take refuge in Sangha, the very meaning of it is, what else is there but this, this, this you and me, this us two, as Tyson Yunka Porter put it. Tyson Yunka Porter is such an interesting, um, what would you call him? A trickster. <laughs> <laughs> a very interesting commentator. Oh, well, he's not a commentator. He's an indigenous sort of philosopher of recent times. And he coined the phrase, which is actually like a, a, tupa, a, a plural first person, us two, in every situation. An infinite web of us twos. It's like, if you're going to have to have your own pronouns, why not make it us two? <laughs> a good pronoun. Or even better, kin. Kin is a great pronoun. My pronoun is kin. <laughs> So a person of Sangha starts to emerge in, from the ground of you and me. And then there's the question of embodying this, you know, bringing it forward in the offer of each other. <clears throat> Beginning to see that the other is the offer of the other rather than the problem of the other. <laughs> it's the offer. You know, we're not alone. You are not alone. And this is deeply important when you feel lost, and who doesn't feel lost at some points? Sangha is the one, is the part of our practice that says, you're not alone. Sangha is, and now I'm using the words of Rumen in his commentary to a case in um, the Gateless Gate. He's talking about the staff in this case, but it's it, and when he says it, 
It's the whole thing, a whole great interwoven matter of Sangha. It helps you to cross the stream when the bridge is broken down. It guides you back to the village on a moonless night. <clears throat> you can think of Sangha as this deep support of your own practice, just as your own practice that is the deep support of Sangha. Sangha is a kind of offer of your own heart. And the discovery is that it's not we say, I save the many, I vow to save the many beings, but of course we're being saved by the many beings. It's, it's mutual, mutually saved. There's another case which I haven't got in detail, but the gist of it is this. It comes from the record of Empty Hall where a monk comes forward and places his hands on the earth. Well, it's the floor of the temple in this case, but it's the ground, the earth. And he says, mutually save, we mutually save. The earth is saving you as you save the earth. From what? You know, from what kind of ordinary transmission that is always ready to resume <laughs> and interrupt what's really going on, this relational structure of the universe. You know, the hands on the earth, I love that gesture. It's the reality of interconnectedness. He can't be pushed off from this. He won't. He is so definite mutually save. Well, that's alive in you and me, mutually saving, mutually waking each other up, mutually wising up together. Coming clear in the space of this, all this humanness <laughs> and the wonderful opportunities for practice <laughs> that it offers. Yeah. That dreadful phrase, this will be good for my practice. <laughs> <laughs> so, there is always that call to the karmic side, to the <clears throat> karmic fact of the broken twig as we walk the path. And so, to find the sense of care that is this, the very meaning of the refuge of Sangha. That you care, that you care to offer yourself, that you care to pick something up and put it where it belongs, that you care to reach out and touch someone and say, I know, it's scary, isn't it? So we're always healing this undivided back into our own clear recognition. It can't be broken, but we heal it back into clear and clearer recognition. What else is there but it? What else is there but it? This mutual being, mutually creating flow of reality. Mutually affirming, you and me, mutually affirming, Mu you and me, mutually saving, you and me, mutually being, 
We can't be here without everything else that is here. And it can't be here without your broken toenail. <laughs> it can't. The entire universe comes forward with that. So this sense of how, <clears throat> coming back to the word and, which is this sort of dissolving word, it dissolves difference, it dissolves opposition, it dissolves contention, it dissolves every kind of split we can make in the fabric of reality. And, it's there implicitly in not to, both and. There's an, an old, there was an old man living on the edge of a, a monastery in Japan, in the co a cottage sort of off to the scent, off to the edges, in amongst the trees. And the teacher there would go and visit him from time to time and spend a bit of time on the veranda and they'd sit there together and look out. And one time, when I was getting very old and he wasn't well, teacher came to visit him and he found the man just sitting there with tears streaming down his face. And he reached out and touched him and said, what is it, what is it? And the old man was looking at the trees and the wind was moving through the trees. And the old man was in a state of utter wonder. He said, everything moves together. Everything moves together. So there it is, this and that is the very heart of waking up. It doesn't have conclusions. It doesn't have an end point. It is always at the very middle of the middle, and. And its perspective is you and me. Its perspective is everything moves together. It is, I think, the inconceivable hinge and ignition point of all reality. And it is the testing ground of our realization, you know, to become of some use. To be Linji <coughs> was asked about this matter, and he, he said, when you know who you are, then you can be of some use. And actually, pretty much not until. <laughs> when you know who you are, when you're speaking, responding from that place, that is not knowing, you know, your name, your tax file number, your etc. It is knowing who you are beyond knowing. It's knowing who you are in the mode of everything moves together. It's knowing that is the I, capital I, conceded completely to you and me, disappearing into it. Then, Linji says, you can be of some use. He's not being very encouraging in some way. He can be of some use. These are cold words in a way, because saving the many beings suggests there's a lot of use to be of. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of you know, offering of ourselves that is available at every moment. 
So please take this word and at the heart of you and me as the mainspring of Dharma, which it is. It's the essential nature of the earth. This, you could say that Dharma is the essential nature of the earth, actually, speaking in human words, human terms, what it needs us to know, letting us know what it needs us to know and letting us think along with this vast, astonishing reality and letting it think along with us. So that thinking, it arises earlier and lives earlier than words, but we do catch it sometimes in live words, in koans, in encounter stories, in cases around such beings as Jojo, or that old man who saw that everything moves together. This is the natural, deep poetry of reality. And I urge you to notice it. Thank you for your trouble.